All right, I think we should be live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream, the show that brings everybody together from all the different circles online and off. I'm your host, Lev Polyakov, and we are here today with uh, two guests who were on Break the Rules before. Vish, you were on one time. Connor, Counterpoints, you were on a couple of times, and I love both of you guys' appearance. It's about high time that you guys got to speak to each other because the recent video that came out from yourself, uh, Vish, you being on stage at the recent uh, Christmas party at the New York Young Republicans Club, talking about total war, talking about all kinds of uh, uh, interesting stuff. And counterpoints, you had the chance to watch the video, so I want to get into it. But before that, introductions as always. Vishbura, you are the executive secretary of the New York Young Republicans Club. And counterpoints... You are a war veteran, uh, a former police officer, and you are an aficionado of Warhammer 40K, which I really dig as well. And hopefully we're going to get into it with Curtis Yarvin next week. That's going to be January 6th. So counterpoints, double appearances, double booking of counterpoints. That is happening on January 6th, Friday, be there, be square, also 9 p.m. sharp. Anyway, counterpoints, you had a chance to watch the video. Let me know what you think, and as always, everybody subscribe who have not subscribed yet, and add a like, and click the bell, and all that important stuff. But anyway, counterpoints, you saw the video talking about Total War. Give me your impression of the video, what we thought, and we're going to start this debate from there. Yeah, so uh, y'all can hear me okay? I can hear you perfect. Okay, so there, there's a part that I'll just uh, give right off the bat. I kind of joked about it before we were live, which is like, it's provocative. It gets the people going, right? So there's a certain amount of, if you have inflammatory rhetoric, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people together. You're trying to get them unified into a tribe. You're getting them to act and all that kind of stuff. And on top of that, New York is kind of a cucked state. So you're basically behind enemy lines. So getting Republicans to act aggressively is probably more difficult than where I am, which is Florida, which basically we just do whatever the fudge we want anyways. Um, So uh, my frustration with the video, though, is that Republicanism to me is about a republic. We have a certain set of rules. We're trying to get people to subscribe to these rules. We're trying to uh, basically build a coherent society that has some level of social fabric. And when I hear the we're going to total war, um, basically it might not be correct, but I'm hearing the culture war shenanigans of the past half decade. And I don't know if there's any substance, if there's any positive vision, if there's anything that we care about actually forwarding the lives of Americans to get them to vote Republican, to get them to think about Republican philosophy, to make uh, socially conservative families, to uh, make the economy work for a majority of the people who work instead of the people who are parasites. Um, So these are the things that I'm concerned about, where if the Republican Party boils down to Democrats are bad, they're evil, they want to trans and gay your kids and don't worry about the economy, that that kind of scares the crap out of me because basically I think we're not focusing on any of the problems. And then also one of the things that I really, really hate, which I'm not saying Vish is guilty of, but I would love to hear his thoughts on, is the fact that I feel like this culture war stuff is basically so we don't talk about economics. We don't talk about struggling American families. We don't talk about social conservatism or rebuilding, uh, you know, nuclear families. All we talk about is the trans people trying to uh, trans your kids. And then we don't talk about how do we actually build strong American families, which are the foundation of our republic. Um, So, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there and then we can kind of dig into it. And before I get to Vish, everybody, be sure to sneed those Super Chats. Thank you very much for the $5 Nimitz. We are going to get to your Super Chat uh, after the uh, conversation. I know, Vish, you have an hour 
uh, to do this, so hopefully we're going to be able to compartmentalize everything. So anyway, Vish, go for it, brother. Let me know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Lev, and th- thank you for your perspective there, counterpoints. Um, so my retort to that would be, listen, as Richard Nixon said, losers don't legislate. And whatever you believe in, good policies, nucle- strong nuclear families, uh, great economy, none of this matters unless you win first. And this is the this is kind of the the crux of what our uh, argument was to the folks who were in the room that night. We had 500 people at our 110th annual gala. So you know we've been our organization has been doing this uh, event for 110 years. So um, you know we're steeped in a lot of history. This isn't just something that popped up overnight. Now again to the thesis of what we were trying to. Uh, get across is that no matter what you believe in, whether you're a moderate Republican, whether you're totally fringe right, it actually doesn't matter. If you do not win, do not get yourself into the position to make the decisions that would be better for our country, that would, uh, you know, help move along um, policies and, uh, you know, move the country directionally to a place where we would rather have it be, whether it's economically, culturally, socially, you name it. Um, But if you're not putting up a fight uh, on every front available within the, the spectrum of the political war, the culture war, the spiritual war, uh, you're just going, you're going, you may, you know, there's a, I used to work for Steve Bannon and he would say, you know, Republicans can win elections, but still manage to lose the country. And so these are, you know, we want to get across to folks that being a Republican is more than just showing up on election day and voting. And even more than just volunteering your time, maybe to knock on a few doors, though we need all of that. And we need more. We need you to be writers. We need you to be movie stars. We need you to go, um, you know, be cultural influencers, media influencers, spiritual influencers. We need pastors. We need pastors who aren't, you know, buying into woke ideology and and corrupting the word of God with with with, um, you know, heresy that you're seeing uh, all over, you know, from a lot of these like woke liberal sort of priests and pastors and stuff. So we we are in a total when, you know, when our enemies engaged in every sphere of influence, we need to engage in every sphere of influence. And that was the point of total war. It was that is that it, you know, actually our political battle is a lot bigger than what we think is the battle. And so that was the point. Now, you know, again, there, there can be folks that disagree with our message and um, you know, what, what I think that people are processing our message as to like, what we're fighting for when instead what we're really trying to get across is how we should fight for the things that we want. And that's really, um, you know, my retort to it. There's really nothing wrong with the critique that, that counterpoints has provided here. All I'm saying is before we get to pushing the things that we want, we actually have to push the method in how we get the things that we want. Sure. So I'm, I, I'm okay with this. The, and actually, the, I think there's a good chunk of things to be said for the fact that uh, conservatives have neglected huge parts of our culture. So, for instance, when you're talking about education or if you're talking about, uh, you know, movies or, or pop media or criticism or any of that kind of stuff, these things are dominated by progressives and leftists and liberals. And the reason why is because for a really long time, 
conservatives and Republicans were basically saying, like, don't do that. That actually doesn't contribute anything to society. And what's going on now instead is since we have lefties, progressives, uh, liberals dominating culture and dominating education, you basically have the entire cultural sphere dominated by their their worldview. And it's an uphill battle to get anybody to even concede anything libertarian, Republican or conservative. So, like, I'll agree there. If we're opening up multiple fronts on the war, that's totally fine. But the, the thing that I'm worried about or and frustrated by is the fact that, like, we have to know where we're going. So, for instance, you're talking about, like, heretical priests. I'm, a, I'm like, a deist myself. I'm not a particularly religious person. And I think that there's, like, a, a maybe a big tent philosophy of republicanism that was used for nefarious means a few years ago where we're just like, okay, well, you know, we love the gays. We love the transes. We love the blacks. We love the Hispanics. But we're still Republican, um, you know, therefore don't worry about anything. And, of course, the social conservatives had to take a back seat because not everybody agrees about gay marriage or being trans or any of that kind of shit, right? Um, so I understand that the social conservatives are like, hey, like we took a back seat. We're not taking a back seat anymore. We're going to say what we believe. And that's actually really popular with social conservatives. But then what I'm worried about is that that um, like almost pure, like political purification where you have social conservatives, people who are theists, people who specifically are Christian or Christian nationalists, what's happening is you might have a pure and more aggressive uh, form of politics, but you're also pushing out a lot of people who are a lot more chill, I guess would be the word. So uh, basically libertarians, Republicans, secularists, all that kind of stuff. And as a result, the party's weaker for it. So if there's things that we can agree on, for instance, like the strong nuclear family or capitalism being better than socialism, or maybe, you know, basically uh, gay people and trans people shouldn't be like murdered or persecuted, but maybe not every kid should be encouraged to be LGBTQ as a matter of culture. These are things that you could build a broader tent out of, but it feels like Christian nationalists are dominating the narrative. I can add one quick thing before Vish responds, which is some people would say that it was the recent legislations regarding abortion almost as a trap that the Democrats set up for the Republicans, because now all of a sudden you had people coming out who were scared that uh, they were would not be able to get an abortion anymore, and as a result they voted Democrat when they otherwise would not have. So I don't know, counterpoints, if you would agree with me that that played a role. Yeah, so, so my parents have been talking to me about uh, banning abortion since I was like eight years old, and basically if the uh, conservative majority of the Supreme Court never took any action on majority, or uh, took any action on abortion... I would actually view that as the most toothless, spineless shit that social conservatives would have ever done. So I think that it's okay to say we took a hit, you know, in the midterms because we acted on Roe v. Wade. But that's been like a like a stated Republican goal for like four or five decades. So I think you just have to take the culture war hit in order to have the legislative victory. Uh, but that's kind of an aside. Got it. All right, Vish, go for it. Yeah, so uh, I think, too, the more immediate point on uh, Roe v. Wade, listen, if you have a 50-year victory, uh, you know, whatever the the outcome is, it kind of actually doesn't matter because you have a 50-year victory that you picked up in this one year, right? And so the the Roe v. Wade victory was, was a huge win for our side. I would simply argue that our side didn't do a good job of bottling up and harnessing that momentum of the win and instead immediately got worried about what the backlash is going to be. And so I think that we, that's a small strategic error, but it's still, um, you know, we ended up with a five seat majority, maybe 
I mean, you can argue that maybe we would have had a 10, 15 seat majority, maybe at this point, if Roe v. Wade didn't happen. But I, I don't even think that there's a ton of evidence that 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 would support that. Um, but we still got to win and we got to win on the back of a 50 year win which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, um, you know, with, with, with that being said, uh, you know, to your point, counterpoints, where you're talking about, well, does the harnessing of sort of this religious sort of Christian or sort of godly religious rhetoric scare away, you know, maybe more chill folks like, um, you know, libertarians or secular folks uh, and whatnot, and I think that there, I think that there is a small, I would push back and I think that there's a small fallacy in that. And I think that we are in, I think today the left is so visibly unhinged and so vis visibly anti-life and anti-God that I think that the, the new consensus, what it looks like is, you know, hey, you might be Christian and I might be Hindu and that guy might be Jewish and that guy might be Muslim, <laughs> right? But we're all we all have way more in common than whatever those guys are talking about, right? And I think that, uh, that oh no, yeah, well, yeah, well, no, that, you, that's I, I've been I've been warning about it for years. It's like as soon as social conservatives learn that they have more in common with Muslim conservatives and Hispanic conservatives, the left wing is uh, I don't know how much profanity you tolerate, but uh, screwed would be my most tactful way to use uh, to describe it. Yeah, I think that that, but I think that that is the win, the the path to to a winning majority is to create more clear fault lines. If you believe in God, any kind of God, you kind of know what side you're on. And if you want to be on the other side, where honestly, if you're like vehemently anti-God, is where you're ending up there. Even if you don't really believe in God, I know there's atheists for liberty folks. I have a good buddy Thomas Sheedy, who kind of like all you know, who who talks about this that. That listen, you know, it, it, I might be an atheist. I don't believe in God, but I don't know if if going out there and codifying and and purifying the, our society, making sure that there is no God, is a good uh, strategy, right? And so I think that that making sure that there is a visible fault line uh, between the God faction and the anti-God faction is actually our path forward to create and realign a new majority that is still can uh, transcend race, right? And transcend some of these other divisions. And so that, you know, I would push back and say, I don't think that there's any anything wrong with leaning into that kind of rhetoric. I, in fact, think that it serves us well to reiterate what side um, that that we believe God is on. And there, you should be confident that that God is on our side when you say that. So uh, actually, so th this actually begs an, a very interesting question. So in New York's kind of cosmopolitan. There's a lot of different kinds of people up in New York, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so do you think that the New York young Republicans or the New York Republicans are actually um, considering this where they're like, hey, you know, let, like because we, we had a lot of people get, I don't know temporarily internet popular for like white nationalism and all that kind of stuff. But obviously that became something that bit them in the ass. Whereas uh, like religious or uh, like a broad base 
pseudo-religious conservatism actually can serve lots of kinds of people, including people who uh, stereotypically didn't work with each other, like let's say uh, social conservative Muslims and uh, social conservative Christians. Um, so do you think that the Republican Party is so entrenched that they're not going to be able to do that? Or do you think that they actually are listening to the younger generation saying like, hey, we don't have to be the exact same kind of Christianity or exact same faith as long as we're socially conservative and we kind of believe in X, Y, Z, A, B, C, we can work together. Yeah, I think that there's totally a future. I think that uh, the New York Young Republican Club is a good, there's a good, it's a good microcosm of what could be possible. We have a very diverse membership that uh, cuts across all sorts of religious and racial lines, et cetera. I think mm. that, you know, to your point that, you know, well, is the Republican establishment also seeing this as a possible path forward? I think that even if they did right now, they're not doing a really good job of unifying the message on it and are mm. still kind of doing the whole, well, we're going to push a Jewish Jewish message for Jews and a Muslim message for Muslims. And it's like, no, where the whole idea of being on our side is we're tired of being divided along those lines in the first place. It's more like, hey, you know, Jews in the room, Muslims in the room, Christians, et cetera. We all believe in God and the people in the other room want to take them, take our Lord away from us. Right. And so I think that that right now the establishment of the Republican Party is not doing that and not focused on that because they are still, I, you know, and it's this is not a a a, a attack on on you. Can be a little bit of a thing. It's but, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but it's like you know, look, you know, the everyone's just focused on the economy because everyone's still locked in the mindset that it's always the materialistic solutions that will solve um, the issues that we're trying to solve. And I think that we have, our society has ascended above that where actually money is not gonna solve or material solutions are not gonna solve a lot of our issues. And I think that more and more of, of our society is coming around to that conclusion, that it's not a materialistic issue, that there are deeper, uh, even, I wouldn't even say systemic, but more cultural, spiritual issues that we're dealing with. And I think that people understand that. Uh -oh. oh, no. Don't worry, it's New York City. There's so much 5G radiation going on, giving people all kinds of superpowers that I'm sure Vish is going to return. And hey. everybody, oh, there, there he is, he's there back. Yeah, hey, so sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened, um, but uh, I was saying that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, it, you know, it's all these other issues that are not materialistic issues anymore that people are wising up to now and understanding that that is where the fight is. And so we need to cool. evolve our messaging and evolve our strategies to include those spaces. Okay, so so here here's the thing. I don't know how conspiracy brained you are. I've been recently accused of being very conspiracy brained. Um, I think that the United States is more akin, like the the economy, the the military industrial complex, the education system, politics, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it, I don't view this as like a speedboat. I view this as like an oil tanker. It takes like a really long time to turn it. People are going to resist your moves, um, all that kind of stuff. So. There's there's something that's kind of like uh, near and dear. Ah, shit! Did I disconnect? Can you guys? No, hear me? I hear your voice, but your video is frozen solid in a very gloomy looking expression. But you can keep talking as long as the voice is there. That's the important thing. God no, I just kicked. 
I kicked my uh, connection for the camera, so the camera should be coming on momentarily. Yeah, no problem um, at all. But basically, the the thing that I worry about is that there's this um, isolationism. So you talk about like uh, spirituality, you know, Americanism, social conservatism, all that kind of stuff. I think those are all things that people can align on. What I think that uh, the new Republicans, the young Republicans, the people who are focused on uh, spirituality or the people who are focused on uh you know basically like what what is this next generation going to offer social conservatives going forward is the fact that we're already part of what i would view as a 65 trillion dollar commercial empire um everybody who's aligned with us uh pretty much everybody except for like russia china venezuela north korea they uh they are all aligned with us economically and we're economically interdependent I don't think that we have to be as dependent as we are now. I don't think we have to invade every single country on the face of the planet every time there's a problem. But I still think that the the isolationist rhetoric of the Republicans that sometimes can feel like super naive, where they're just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to like pull up stakes. Um, you know, we're just going to leave the entire country or the rest of the world to do their own shit. If China seizes power, it's not our problem. And then as a result, what happens is the military industrial complex and commercial enterprises, they're always going to be against this kind of isolationism and they're going to fuck you left, right and center and they're going to buy your uh, politicians off. So that's where how do you speak to that? Like what I view as almost like isolationist naivete, that's a part of like the MAGA movement. Yeah, so um, I look, I I'm not an isolationist. Um, but I do, I, I do think that our, um, the way we handle our international relations today is all messed up. And, and on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the word is pre-modern, but it's like outdated. Uh, I think it's all outdated the way we handle, um, our international relations. I am very much somebody who does not want to see china rise above america i do not want to see russia rise above america i am very much an american exceptionalist and believe that we should remain exceptional compared to these other nations but we don't do ourselves a a a service in in uh pushing and building up and displaying american exceptionalism when we're out not only are we out you know uh, getting involved military, militarily in a lot of conflicts, whether that's, you know, official or unofficial or Congress uh, sanctions it or not. Um, but we're, we also come, come home with a lot of egg on our face. And there's no reason to put our veterans, I think, in that position where the mission is not clear and victory is not properly defined. And I think that too much of our conflicts have devolved um, into a situation where our leadership, especially our military leadership, loses sight of what the definition of victory is and what it actually looks like and what it's supposed to be. And our soldiers then also lose that vision because they can't see it because their leader doesn't see it and can't communicate it. And we're all like, and all our boys are stuck in the, in the desert, dude. You know, and we're lose. You know, and we lose or have egg on our face, and we're and then our our people are at home are spending all sorts of blood and treasure, you know, for this fiasco. So I just think that you, that that you. even if we have we even if I wanted to continue the policy of interventionism and exporting the libertarianism and exporting democracy or whatever, at the very least, 
You have to have stone cold killers running your 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 military operation who are at the very least be like, listen, man, I'm gonna go blow up that town, and that's what victory <laughs> is, and we're gonna do that, and we're done. And we're out after that, right? I prefer that kind yeah. of leader than somebody who's going to tell me, well, we're actually going to turn Sweden out of Afghanistan, right? Like, that's right. nonsense, right? So well, that's okay. My I, I don't, I don't want to lose this thought because uh, basically I, I feel like you articulated it so beautifully and it's the perfect metaphor for when, when I hear young Republicans in New York declaring total war, what I'm concerned with is what is the vision? What do we want our troops to do? What, is, what does victory look like? And, and these are the kinds of things that like, I could tell you what victory looks like to me. Victory looks like to me, like average Americans are able to work maybe one and a half, two jobs, right? As a couple, they can pay their bills, put food on the table and buy some, you know, some toys for their kids. You know, that might be materialistic, but that's still something that's spiritual because you actually spend time for your family. It's, um, it's ignoring the hedonism and consumerism of our modern culture, where basically everything has been gutted and boiled down to what can you buy? What can you own? And that's how important you are. And we don't even like, we don't even talk about as conservatives, hey, maybe instead of dad working 80 hour weeks in order to pay the bills, maybe he needs to work 40 or 50 hour weeks. That way he can spend 20 to 30 hour weeks at home taking care of his kids and raising his children. Like, so, so that's where for me, like the, um, the totally laissez-faire economic uh, Republicans have absolutely fucking lost me. Where of course, like capitalism is better than socialism and communism. But just because you like care about capitalism or care about the entrepreneurial spirit or any of that kind of shit, doesn't mean that you should basically be like, oh, you're poor and you're stupid. You should work 80 hour weeks and ignore your kids. That's gonna be good for society. And so that for me is like, I think that if you agree with me on what I just said, it's going to be an uphill battle because the old guns of the Republican Party, they care more about the money than they care about the people. It's more about protecting capitalism and like, you know, working stuff and like all that kind of stuff than it is about like, I don't know, readjusting our society to be more spiritual or more family oriented or to make sure that Americans can actually have decent lives. So what I'm worried about, part of the reason why the GOP probably might not listen to you as much as you want them to, is because if you agree with me, you're challenging that status quo where republicanism just means low taxes for rich people. And that from a from a policy standpoint, that's all it is. So what I sorry, last point I swear. Um so what my worry is is like you and me can agree on rhetoric all day, social conservatism, families, like all that kind of stuff. But if we don't have a game plan and a vision and an execution and a footprint and a blueprint for our troops as Republicans to execute, then what's going to happen is the vision is going to be stolen by people who only care about the finances of it. And they're going to use your rhetoric to back up goals that you don't agree with. And so that's my sincere fear when I see fiery, angry, young Republicans giving fire and brimstone speeches, but I have no idea what the fudge the plan is. Right. So, um, well, if if you're looking for the plan, uh, you know, in terms of, well, how do we win? That's actually, you know, something that. Again, what do you do out. when you win? Well, when you win, when you do win, then it's it become then the question is, OK, well, you guys won. What are the policies now, right? Or what were the that, policies? That's where I think the people with money—the people with money—are going to make the decisions at that point. It's already too late, in, in my right. opinion. Right. 
Well, well, that well, see, that's the thing. You don't know until you get to that situation first, right? I'm a Bill Belichick kind of guy, right? One battle at a time, right? And so one one game at a time, right? Mm. Don't look ahead to like, well, what if, if once we get there, like, what are we gonna do? Get there first, right? The, the, you need to focus on the defined victory. What is the actual next step we need to mm. secure? And so that is kind of like as a sort of head coach or a general in the movement that would be my focus right now obviously we would like to get a leader in there who would advocate for i'm very much an america first guy you know my three pillars are immigration we need to cut down immigration illegal legal you name it i want that i want to see that brought down uh i want to see more aggressive trade policies that curb the um, excesses and the inefficiencies that are existent with, you know, China and some of these other uh, countries that exploit really cheap labor and take, uh, you know, American jobs, um, you know, out of our economy, out of our system. And then also, uh, I'm very much a anti-war uh, populist. You know, I don't want to see unreasonable uh, conflicts. Um, our our veterans and our people spending blood and treasure to get involved in unreasonable conflicts. And I'd like to just kind of like, hey, can we go back to those days when like Congress had to declare war and like the president couldn't just unilaterally unilaterally engage us in like years long conflicts with no approvals, right? Like, so that, you know, those are the immediate three pillars. Now, if I, I could sit there and if you asked me on each thing, you know, each policy plank, what the, 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 position is i think you would probably agree with most of them uh and i think most agree uh, most republicans would probably agree with most of them what i think is you know the the um the the rub is like well how seriously do you take the enemy on the other side right i think that that is really the question where we're like look man they want to this is a this is a fight for control of the most powerful nation on earth. They will do everything in their power by any means necessary. And so, so should we, right? That's all we're saying, right? And that certainly can rub people the wrong way because the per, you know, the person that hears that might, might be like, hey, look, you know, the Democrat that sits across from me is not like my biggest enemy in the world. And, you know, that might be true to them in that case, but you know, we're not talking about any one person or any one particular thing. We're talking about movements as a whole. We're talking about, you know, the the paradigm as a whole. And, you know, at this point, I sincerely believe the left is on a total warpath to destroy America and its history and its culture and its society and its children, you know? And so uh, I, you know, I am willing to do a lot to stop that. And I am willing to push a message to convince others to join me that they need to do a lot, a whole lot to stop that. And if they believe that that's what they should do. 
Yeah. So, so th- this is this is almost precisely my exact fear. So, uh, I don't doubt your, you know, I, I don't think that people can really have like two brains running simultaneously for too long, um, without like you know their real motives being uh, shown. So, I, I believe you. I believe that you're passionate. That you're trying to get people energized. That you believe it's an existential fight. That you want people to join the fight. You want them to take it seriously. You believe that your opponents are serious about their end goals, and you want to see that energized base come back in the opposite direction. I believe you totally. The the things that scare me because I've been I've been ingesting and paying attention to politics since uh, the 80s. I was born in the 80s and, you know, early 90s. My parents were, were raising me with this stuff. They're very politically active. And so I listen to conservatives and I listen to uh, libertarians, capitalists, historians, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I know that my historical and political perspectives are correct. But when I vote in my side. The only thing that happens is the same shit that happened the day before and lower taxes. And so if that's going to keep happening, I want to figure out a way to break the cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, look, there, there's really no good answer to this. I don't know if you've ever worked like in politics or, or in government or anything like that. I have some experience working in the house, working on the Hill, um, you know, I've seen behind the scenes how these decisions get made uh, and some of the calculus that goes into how these sitting elected officials make their decisions. And, you know, quite bluntly, the issue is personnel over policy or personnel determines policy all the time. Personnel is policy. And so, look, you know, I can tell you right now there's about in, you know, there's 435 members of the House you could probably count on your hands how many of them you could rely to on to actually stick to the values that they campaigned on and to do the things that they said that they would do. The rest, uh, you have no idea what they're going to do, but probably because you have no idea who they are, right? And so, like that, you know, there, there's the actually the problem is is that a lot of these people hope to never be famous or be in the spotlight and just go to D.C you know, quietly vote whatever way the leadership tells them to vote so that they can continue sitting in that seat, getting the money for re-election, getting the support for re-election, blah, blah, blah. We have a very sort of big problem of a occupational class that sits in those seats to just sit in those seats as opposed to- So is this wasted energy? No, it's not. You can't, because you can't, you, you can't be like, well- even if we even if we tried to change that, we're gonna win. The guy's gonna get there and he's not gonna serve us. That might be true, but you don't know till you get there, right? It's well, just okay, so, the way it's just the way the game works. Sure. But but let, let's just say I'm a dictator of the Republican Party temporarily. I have I have like some, you know, influence, whatever. Like people should still obviously everything you said, total war. Right. Um, people should still get, you know, jazzed up, go vote, make sure that the people that you're voting for align with your values. Try to make sure that your vision of the world is implemented as much as possible. Try to identify what's important to you, blah, blah, blah. All of that's great. But also it seems like there's a lot of energy um, that we are spent in a lot of money by the way, which kind of gets gross after a little bit, which gets dumped into the system of the occupational class that you're talking about, the people who go there to sit on ass and just click the right buttons when they're told to, right? Um, so for me, it's like the the culture, it, the culture itself is in dire straits where we talk about like, 
kids being, you know, raised without parents and schools that are overrun with violence and, um, you know, people not knowing how to act as adults and, and all this kind of crap that we just see pretty much posted to our social media all the time. But then we also are talking smack to people who are trying to fix the problem, whether they're like EMTs, cops, firefighters, uh, you know, teachers, whatever. We basically say, oh, well, that's not important. What is important is just making money and all that kind of crap. I'm not saying this is like a, a conscious rhetorical thing. I'm just saying that like society kind of looks down on people who make 40 grand a year in public service. That's all I'm saying. And so for me, I would start like, like rather than having this, I don't know, Andrew Tate grind mindset. Everybody has to be a millionaire, have a Bugatti, become a Muslim conservative, be polygamous <laughs> while running hoes, um, you know, also. But I'm also Republican and I love Trump. Um, you know, rather than all that kind of crap where we, we basically we only tell people about electoral crap and then we, we kind of have this like, I don't know, hyper capitalist fever dream grind 1980s mindset. I think we have to start encouraging men just to be men, meaning that they're responsible for their family, for having a partner, for raising their kids, for being involved in their community. But are people going to click on that? Are people well, going to click on that? That's the problem. We're in a circus right now. And in the both circus simultaneously. You can have Vish come out and say, we're at total war. And then you can have counterpoints come on and say, hey, get married and take care of your fudging kids, you pieces of garbage. And by the way, I would cuss more, but Vish hasn't cussed. So I, I don't oh, want to assume anything. That's fair enough. Um, so but but basically i'm saying you use the heat to drive the culture like like one of the things you mentioned uh, steve bannon or whatever i think one of the most impact he might have been the most impact politically impactful people in the past decade through the sheer concept of like um him popularizing politics is downstream from culture i think everybody believes that now so so the question is what kind of culture do conservatives and republicans want to build because if it's just bitching and moaning about like trans teachers and then cutting taxes for rich people i'm out no that's total that's totally fair i think we've seen a lot of people drop out based on that and i there's you know i i think that 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 the it's incumbent on the sort of like official party apparatchiks and like those people who you know live and breathe the move, movement to convince you um, you know, why you need to be on here, you know, why you need to be in the movement and continue voting and stuff like that. I think that, you know, you definitely have a point that, that a lot of people misuse this heat and energy, um, just for lower taxes and, you know, basically to, to serve the, the material financial interests of our elites. Right. And so I think that it's a totally fair critique. Um, but uh, you know, maybe let, let's, you know, to, to take a step back, you know, oh, I, you know, you were saying, I believe that we need to have, uh, you know, men need to forget what Andrew Tate is saying about the grind set and all this stuff. Um, you know, we need men to get married and, and take care of their kids. And it's like, hey, I agree with you, right? Counterpoints, 100%, I agree with you. Let's take a step back. How do I get married? Right? And it's like, what's the answer there is there a political answer for that you know and so i i do, like you know you can you could say like just go get married and have kids and it's like yeah but like you're kind of missing uh, and a very important aspect to that it's like what gets women to want to marry a guy right and so and if if the the and what and there's an answer there and then from there it's like and it's a rather real right it's like you have to be of stable income. You can't be a total weirdo. 
have to take a shower every day, right? There's a <laughs> there's a there's a couple of answers there that you have to have in place before you can get to, you know, the ultimate mission is to get married so that you take care of a woman and then you have children and you take care of those children. Now you're a one man taking care of you yourself plus three others. Now you're being a productive and useful member of society. That is the ultimate end state, right? But to get there, you kind of need a little Andrew Tate, man. You kind of need your boys. <laughs> you kind of need your boys to go out there trying to be their best, right? Because you're trying to spark societal change, but society is built up of these individual units called men, men and women, right? And so you need to inspire each individual person to go and take steps towards societal ingratiation. And so it, you, you can't, like, I know where you want to get to, but you can't get to where you're trying to go without answering, like, the problem, the most immediate problem that's sitting in between, which is how do we get men and women together again, right? And, like, you see them falling marriage rates. You see, you know, the, the sort of explosion in, in single men, single women, you know, before we get to, yeah, solve this, solve the problem, get more men and women married and make them have kids. Yeah. Let's start with how do we get them married? How do we get them to actually be like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Right. That's, I think we, we, we one game at a time again, right. I'm still very Belichick in on this. But, but the, okay. But the building blocks for me. So, so if we were talking about like, um, one game at a time, one, one thing in front of you. So, so you might, um, if you're working for them full time or even part time, you're a keynote, you're able to you know, work in this world. I, I want to work in this world. Right. If literally I could sit down with just like re Republican strategists and people all day long and just talk their ear raw about like my perspectives on their crap, um, I would do that. But my problem is that I feel like um, and, and I, I really I, I'm not expecting you to like change your mind instantaneously in this conversation. I, I just want you to think about it. You know, hopefully it just rings home a little bit. You're kind of winning the big game like you're you're um you're you're going after the electoral stuff you're basically you're going to get republicans in office they might you know be able to push some stuff that you think is important they might be able to vote yes or no on critical bills as a result that that's all important but what i'm kind of saying is that the the practice matches and the logistics and the food and the diet and and, and all the stuff that goes into creating strong players and creating a good game all of that is falling apart and it's borderline falling apart because the people who win the championship say, well, I got mine. I got my food. I got my, you know, custom chef. I got my millions of dollars. I got my electoral system. So as a result, does anybody really need anything else? Do we need to raise a new generation of athletes? Do we need to make sure that they have dietitians and coaches and athletic trainers and physical therapists and all that stuff to make them as good as they want to be? And as a result, the culture is weaker and poorer because the people who are in power, the people that you're fighting the big game for, they don't give a shit about the people who are coming in the next generation. Um, so that that's kind of where for me, it's like, God bless you for fighting the fight the way that you're fighting it. And I'm not trying to like put you on blast in front of fucking 
Lord knows you probably rub elbows with these people, but I think that somebody needs to be in that room. It's not me. And somebody needs to push back about these people and say like, Hey, if you don't care about education, the next people, not everybody's going to be able to go to private school. Not everybody is going to be able to get vouchers. So if our public schools are trash and they're run by progressives and liberals, progressives and liberals are going to win the next generation. And it's just going to be like that until the, until the cows come home. If kids, if uh, families can't afford to pay their bills, we're fucked there. Everybody's going to stay separated from each other. It's going to be hookup culture. Parents aren't going to take care of their kids because they don't even have the financial ability to do so. So, so why would I dedicate the next 18 years of my life working at the Dollar General for $8 an hour when uh, basically all my bills cost 20 bucks an hour? And I know I can't take care of my kid. I can't get him Christmas presents. I can't keep his mama's power uh, on. So as a result, it's better if Uncle Sam pays that utility bill and I'll just come in every now and then and get, get him like a $10 gift. You know, like, like that's the kind of crap where I feel like the left is like like sprinting away with systemic analysis and i feel like they're, they're totally disingenuous pieces of shit so don't get it twisted but the right wing is just like we'll bootstrap out of every problem we have and that that's i, I just think it's a losing strategy so yeah i'll stop ranting there yeah i, I mean look i i think that that you have a very good point that like, yeah, the people who have power secured power and then we're just like, well, we have the power. We don't really care what comes after us because we have the power, right? And so what do we really need to worry about? Yeah, I mean, that works for a certain amount of time, but it also like, when you do that, you don't just allow your your apparatus or machine in general to atrophy your, your own uh machinery and apparatus withers over time too right there's a i love the movie dark knight rises i'm sure one of the videos that you saw uh, i think the the music bed was one of the was one of those those songs but he says something when batman throw when you know the first fight scene with bane and batman bet you know batman throws a punch and he says he, yeah he says peace has cost you strength victory has defeated you right and so you have the, the the game is actually look man you got to lock yourself in the room with the people and stay as long as you can and then at the moment the right moment you fucking strike and like you're in charge like it's it is a long game what i mean the game of power is not easy and it will not just be handed over to you it is something you have to fight viciously for whether it's against your side or whether it's against the other side Right. A huge part of our programming for the gala that night um, and where when we were taught, like when we made our speeches, you know, as much heat that we had for the Democrats, we had just as much heat for Republicans and Republicans in leadership uh, in our speeches. I, by name, call out Kevin McCarthy in what in my in my speech. Right. Saying we know you're a, a pussy. I called him a pussy <laughs> in my speech. And so I told him to step, you know, I said, you need to step aside and let like the new guys handle this. There right? is because a, you, uh, have, oh, yeah, sorry. you know, so that's, 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 it's, it's, it's all about, you have to take it one way or another, but if you seed ground, it'll never happen. There right? is a side so issue that I wanted to get problem. to though. There is yeah. a side issue that I want to get to, which I want to make sure we have time for, which is, let's say you are able to succeed and let's say the problems that counterpoints brings up are able to be solved more or less. There is another problem, which is 
what I'm at least noticing is that the people who are on the side of, uh, let's say, the MAGA Republicans, people who are on the side of Tucker Carlson, whatever point the other side, be it Democrats, be it uh, neocons, whoever you want to say, brings up, is always going to be viewed as wrong. And my problem there is that it creates a bubble. And like I said in the beginning, the reason why I made Break the Rules is it's supposed to pop the bubbles. So given, let's say, the recent uh, war between Russia and Ukraine right now, I am noticing a lot of people on the MAGA side. I'm not saying that they are pro-Russia, but they are very much convinced that it is possible to make a deal, to make peace with Putin, even though, at least if you were to believe me for a second, Putin is not capable of striking any deal with anybody. He is not to be trusted. But when it comes to anybody bringing that up, the concern that I have here is that if somebody were to bring that up who would be on your side there would be too much pressure not to listen to them because everybody else is not in agreement. And I don't think that makes you stronger. I think in the long term that makes you weaker because when we end up in a situation like World War II, you know, after the First World War, nobody wanted to get into a war. We had the Great Depression. Even more so, nobody wanted to fight. And as a result, I think it ended up costing us way, way more since we didn't take Hitler out in the very beginning. So that is one example I want to bring up of something that I feel the blinders that you talked about leading people into victory don't end up helping out in the long run. What can we possibly do to fight against that? So I know counterpoints. Yeah. Do you want to add anything into that? Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I want to give there's something to uh, to deal with. So, so for instance, like I-, I feel like there's things that you can say that will just be popular because people want to hear them, which is bring the boys home, don't spend a lot of money, too much blood and treasure, undeclared wars, all that kind of stuff. That's all very popular. Um, But there's the reality on the ground, which is, you know, if I could be conspiratorial because I'm in the right place for it, I think that there's a perpetual motion machine of defense industry contractors and congressmen who want to keep the military going for a really long time. And basically, they want to spend $50,000 on missiles that blow up a $300 tent because it makes a couple of people rich. And also, let's face it, the the technology is pretty fucking cool. Okay, it's cool. So. Um, you know, basically what's happening there is you have a unaligned interest where the MAGA movement is very isolationist. The, the old guard is very interventionist and technological and redistributive and all that kind of stuff. And if you actually want power, I think you can't be like, yeah, bring all the boys home all the time. But I think you can strike a middle ground where you can approach the defense contractors and the people who are getting F-35 jets built in their districts. And we're like, You can have your F-35 jets. You can have your drones and your missiles and all that kind of stuff. But every time that America has a problem, we're not sending in the troops every single time in order to do everything all the time. And on top of that, we're expecting like a a broader degree of congressional supervision in order to engage in conflict. And uh, basically the war on terror is a self-perpetuating machine where we're never going to run out of Muslims to drone strike. So we would like a more intelligent way to, to handle this shit. And I think that if you stri- as long as the defense contractors are getting paid, as long as they're developing new technology and the Navy SEALs and the Special Forces guys get to go out and kill somebody every now and then, I think you can keep those people happy. But saying that, like, nah, you can't kill anybody anymore, and on top of that, you're not getting any money, these people are never going to let you take power. And so that's where I just feel like there has to be, like, a little bit of maturity where we have to look at the rest of the country. And if you've primed your base to say, nah, bring the boys home, screw all the neocons, you're just never getting anywhere. Maybe I'm being too pragmatist and too centrist, but that's where I'm at, where like, I'm scared that the good things about MAGA are gonna get lost and the bad things about MAGA are gonna get amplified. And that's part partially 
because of the lack of vision. You're saying Bill Belichick, you just want to win the next game. I'm saying like your your game is going to get hijacked by people who don't even want you to win. Uh, I think that's totally fair critique. Um, I you know if if I to to maybe unwind some of this uh, you know to some of these points you you make both of you guys, I would ask. Is the United States at war with Russia? Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, that you know, this is a, you know, that's an unofficial thing, right? There's no. This is this is actually the crux of my point. Is that if you want to go and go mix it up with Russia, fucking own it, right? Like go and be like, we're going to war with Russia because fuck Putin, blah blah blah. We're gonna blow him to bits, like. Go do it in name. Don't mess around. Tell your boys, like, we're going. We're going to blow them to smithereens. Vic, total victory is Putin's defeat. I want his head on a silver platter, right? That's very defined. It makes sense. That's something my boys can do, right? But right now, you're stuck in the miasma of, are we at war? Well, we're kind of not really. So we could send them some weapons, but we can't. We can only send them some ground troops and we're not really at war with them, but Ukraine is our ally and we got to support them. But legally we can, once you get mired in all of this, this is what the people hate, right? Like that's been history. Like the United States gave money to the USSR during world war two. So this was even before they went to war themselves. This is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want him to finish it. Then I, then I have a point that I want him to consider because I'm basically, I'm not trying to convince you in this conversation. I just want to give you some stuff to think about. Ah. Yeah. I just think that, I just think that, that, that we are trying to like, we are like playing faux empire where we're, Oh, we're a democracy. We're good guys, and we don't really like you know. We all, we we fight for democracy, but but we you know um but we told we we we're not at war with Russia officially, but we are at war with Putin ideologically, and you know it's it's a lot of uh, waffling. It's like it, our, our people hate this about our leaders that they just can't own their shit. Like just say we're you know what I mean. And so so like if we're at war with Russia, say it, declare it, and let's go. Right. But that's the, the, this is the problem is that our elites are too busy misleading the people as, as to what the actual terms of engagement are. And then on top of that, we don't know if if our taxpayer is being fleeced with, you know, legit expenditures overseas with our foreign aid or illegitimate expenditures. Right. I'm Whoa. a very conspiratorial Whoa. guy, too. I believe Ukraine to be a the laundromat for the 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 globalist elites for their for their cash, and I think that there's a lot of funny business going on, which is immediately there, why I'm against there. that. But like the whole structure of it all, where we don't own the actual intervention or action, and we're doing. Wait, it I want to make sure counterpoints get. Yeah, to, there's there's, there's that's, two that's, points that's here. Yeah, there, there's two points here. So one, just for uh, the immediate point to whether or not we're getting fleeced, I'm sure there is funny business. I mean, you go watch like Iraq for sale, uh, you know, the documentary on the Iraq war, you see how the contractors took, you know, for like a single bag of laundry, they charged like $120. And basically they paid some like poor Malaysian woman in order to wash it. And, you know, they pocket 90% of the profit, you know, absolutely. Like war is a racket. Uh, That's what uh, Smedley Butler, a famous Mm -hmm. Marine said. Um, so this is totally true. I, 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 would, I would concede it almost instantaneously. 
But for me, as a veteran, somebody who like, you know, basically served during the global war on terror and has been abreast of politics for like the better part of two decades, you know, the the Afghan national government collapsed in 11 days. The Ukrainian government has been fighting for almost a full year. You know, so so basically, like, like take, you know, however much money we spent on Afghanistan, we're getting 10 times, 20 times, 30 times the bang for the buck out of Ukraine. Now, that's still like a very Machiavellian, Darwinian, you know, perspective, whatever. I get it. Um, but basically, I'm saying if you were concerned with like fucked up investments, excuse my French, um, Ukraine is still an infinitely more viable investment than, uh, you know, uh, uh, Afghanistan. Then um, the point that I wanted you to consider is basically uh, Clausewitz has this quote that I absolutely love, which is war is just diplomacy by other means. And so uh, raised by warriors and soldiers and generals and real time strategy video games and all that kind of stuff, the, the you know, oftentimes from like a boot level perspective, what you're thinking is like what you're trained on, which is. I'm here to destroy the enemy. The enemy's here to destroy me. If I destroy them first or screw up their supply lines or whatever, I'm going to win. If they screw up my supply lines, if they kill my guys, they're going to win. Let's fight out the battle like it's a chessboard. But the truth is that that's not really true. If that was true, then one, Ukraine would have been steamrolled six months ago because basically uh, uh, Putin would have glassed Kiev. Literally, Kiev would, would just be, it would be flattened. It wouldn't exist anymore. But because conflict is on a spectrum of diplomacy, he knows that if he glasses an entire city filled with a few hundred thousand civilians, the entire world is going to come for his throat. So that's where um, conflict isn't this clean, objective stuff. And also with um, I, I've mentioned a dozen times that I think that uh, as a centrist who's always looking to end conflict, um, I think that Ukraine should give up. Um, the, especially if there's popular referendums, uh, particularly if there's like majority ethnic Russian enclaves in the eastern part of the country, they should just give those territories up. Donetsk, Luhansk, it goes to Russia. It's now Russian territory. Crimea is Russian territory. But then uh, Zaporozhia and Kyrgyzstan should go back to the Ukrainians just because blah, 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 you know, geographic reasons for maintaining easy borders. That's my opinion. But it's not my fucking country. And on top of that, the Ukrainians seem willing to fight it. And I've been told that if, uh, who is it, uh, Zelensky uh, concedes these territories, he's actually just going to be knocked out of power because nobody else in the country would agree with his attempt to uh, broker a peace. So, so my point here is basically like, if war and death and destruction are means of diplomacy, then, and we, we just have to view them as extensions of diplomacy, what would you believe America wants based off of its international uh, actions? And for me, it has nothing to do with democracy, I, like kind of maybe human freedom a little bit. But realistically, it's about running a $65 trillion global commercial empire that keeps people rich, keeps them fed, keeps them fat and keeps them happy. And by the way, you can view that as nefarious because we're being lied to about it. But you can't say that's not important because whether or not you and I have food, electronics, entertainment, the ability to communicate, those are all important things. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, all those are all fair concerns. And I would say that, you know, it's a, you're right. Yeah, America's trying to maintain a 60, $65 trillion commercial empire, but America has some very built it that 
very glaring built-in weaknesses, right? And if I was Russia, if I was Putin right now, I would do the same thing that the Taliban did. That's sit and wait for the political will in America for the war to dry up, which is very easy because we shift leadership on a two-year, four-year, eight-year basis. And that, and with that goes grand vision as well, right? And so actually what you're seeing is that I think that this war is really being pumped for short-term pr- purposes, some midterm messaging. So, you know, showing Biden is strong and not weak. You know, it's all these, you know, a, a couple of payouts to some military industrial com- you know, contractors who donated to the Biden campaign, right? They're like, all you know, the the Ukraine war is really being used to satisfy these short-term conditions. And in the long term, it's going to die out because that's just the way America is built, right? It's not built for (laughs) long-term political conflicts because the long-term political will generally tends to wither away because the leadership is not long enough is not there long enough to see it through. It is just a natural consequence of the way our system is built. And the, and ultimately, like, no matter what, we're going to spend a ton of money and we're likely not going to get anything out of it other than the same result we saw in Afghanistan, except the real tragedy is it'll take us 20 years to figure it out. Before, uh, uh, before counterpoints, yeah. you reply, I just want to add one quick thing, which is if something's not done about the situation with Russia and Putin right now, unfortunately, it's not going to be Russia going back with its tail between its legs. They're forced to be in the position, at least Putin is, where the only way he remains in power is if he keeps expanding. And if America's not going to support, then Russia's going to keep expanding from one place to another, like they try doing in Georgia with southern Ossetia, like they uh, tried to do in uh, Moldova with New Transnistria during the Yeltsin administration, which did work. The uh, first one did not, thanks to uh, George W. Bush, actually. But anyway, the point is, is that if Russia keeps expanding, eventually it is going to become our problem once again. So it's a question of when do we pay for it do we pay for it now or do we pay for it later and how much are well, we going to, have to pay for it later okay n- now I, now i got a steel man vish okay. is it is is eastern europe like america's you know uh, vital national security interest so i can make like a, a 10 head you know uh 10,000 iq argument that you know you cr- like a uh, natural gas and petroleum stability and like uh, you know dragging people away from eastern europe um, or excuse me, from Russian like influence is going to be important for like American strategic goals. But the truth is that this is Europe's interest. This is Europe's power bills that are getting paid. This is you know this is American blood and treasure that's guaranteeing the thing. But then uh, just to steel man my own point, um, I f- I don't think that thinking of America as a national force, I yeah it's a national force. But I think that the way that we're being used, the only way it's explainable is if America views itself at the head of an empire similar to Rome, where we don't have to rule, like there don't have to be American troops on the ground in every single place on the planet. But at the same time, we expect every place on the planet that's within our uh, sphere of influence, they're going to trade with us. They're going to give us good deals. And if somebody fucks with our shit, we're going to we're basically going to jack that person up. And that's the only way that you can explain Ukraine, because uh, to be honest, I don't think half of America could spot Ukraine on a map up until this conflict. 
Before Vicious final response, Vish, I know you got a ghost and brother. And before your final response, I just want to say that I wish the wine sipping Europeans were a little bit more uh, considerate of their own future. I don't see them being right now. I really wish there were, because frankly speaking, America has been picking up a lot of the slack for Europe after World War II. Not so much Eastern Europe. I think Poland is a little bit more aware of what's going on. But as far as the wine sipping Europeans of Western Europe, they definitely have to get their shit in order. But the problem is that right now they're not. And because right now they're not, unfortunately, it is America's responsibility once again. But anyway, Vish, final words, because I know you got to go, brother. And I do want to read the super chat, which may be directed to you as well, which is from Nimitz. $5. GOP needs to actually roll back laws and learn to war lawfare. Shut the government down if necessary to prevent awful budgets and bad debt. GOP are pansies. All right, Vish, whatever you want to talk about here, you got the floor, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just my final sort of to the last point that that uh, counterpoints made. Look, whatever it is, just own it. Are we the empire or not? Right. Like that's that's I want a definitive answer on that. If we are an empire, let's roll like an empire. Right. But I don't want I don't want the oh, we're not an empire. We're a friend to the world. But we're going to send, you know, two trillion dollars to, you know, bomb the shit out of Putin. I don't I like it, it. None of that makes sense. Right. And so that's that's my issue. If we're if we're going to if we are an empire, let's act, let's own it. Let's declare it and act like it. Um, but none of this like in between. I'm trying to be a weasel. I'm trying to be your friend and like stab you in the back shit, too. Right. That's what I don't like. And so um, that that is my my uh, contention to that, to uh, the uh, super chat Nimitz. Um, you're totally right. Go check out Gavin Wax's speech. When he says he declares total war, he states that clearly we have to go to war uh, in the courtroom, at the ballot box, right? The courtroom, that is lawfare, another aspect, a very important aspect to the GOP's victory in years to come. And so, uh, you know, we are on it. We, we're doing our best as young Republicans. Again, we're just, we're just young Republicans, man. You know, we got a nice little club. We got some friends. We had a little money to throw an event. And, you know, we're trying to do our best to push as big a message and as bold a message as possible. And that's what we're doing. And we had a, a bunch of great players in the room that we delivered that message to. They were the audience that night. Right. And that's, you know, the, the whole idea is, well, we want to be in the room to get in these people's ears. That's what we're doing. Right. And that's and, and we created our own opportunity to do that. And so, uh, you know, we encourage other people who have that ability and opportunity out there to do it and get the people in their area and in their spheres of interest in the room and tell them what it is tell them what you want because we did that and guess what the whole world is talking about what we asked for in that room that night right so that's that is the level of impact that we're hoping that everyone who's concerned about this country has and is willing to go out there and do and everybody has the chance and opportunity to go do that if they are willing to like show up and fight and so that's our message. Um, and, you know, I had a wonderful I, 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 counterpoints. I think that this was a great uh, conversation. I wouldn't even call it a debate. Uh, I think that it was a, it was really a good conversation. Um, and I really appreciate your time. Lev, thank you so much for having uh, me. Is there any other super chats you would like me to address before I bounce? All right, so everybody, if see if you can sneak any super chats in the remaining couple of minutes. Also, beware of Gavin's uh, evil twin brother, Gavin Wayne. And uh, lastly, 
one thing that I wish we could have covered if we had more time is, oh, we have a 10 Super Chad. Good stuff. Thanks, BTR, Counter, and Vish. That is from Chase T. Thank you so much, Chase T. One thing I wish we could have covered is the Constitution question because Trump talking about terminating certain things in the Constitution. That was a point you brought up. Vish, I don't want to hold you up if you got to go right now. I just would be amiss if that was not covered. I don't know. Like, counterpoints. Would you want to add? Yeah. I, I, I do want to add something to that. Um, so actually our club put out a statement uh, in, in the wake of the Mar-a-Lago raid that happened in August. Um, and we kind of honestly already echoed what Trump was saying months before he did. Our club, um, you know, our legacy actually extends back to 1856 when President Lincoln had uh, given a speech to uh, at Cooper Union in Manhattan to what was called the Young Men's Republican Union, Union at that time. And that's sort of the ancestor to our club today. And I, you know, as a quick history lesson, lest we not forget what Lincoln thought was appropriate measures to save the Union, save the Republic at that time, which was spending the writ of habeas corpus. Um, he went and had sitting congressmen arrested, right? Like there's... You, you, there are. If you really want to save the republic and you feel that strongly, there's some things you got to do. You got to crack some eggs, man. And so, I'm. I do not. You know, maybe I wouldn't have said suspend the constitution like you know President Trump had said. But there are some things that need to be considered. There are tools in the toolkit that need to be considered when you're talking about saving the union from nefarious forces and forces that have upended the constitution. One thing that I want to, to the last final point that I want to make is that you're trying to do not fight moral battles with enemies with no morals, right? If they don't respect your moral lines, they will like, they, you, I got, I no, got to get no counterpoints to respond on this. No, no, it's fine. I, I want to, if Vish has a heart out, I want to make sure that he can get his words out. I'm good. All right. With that being said, Vish, oh, you muted yourself. There we go. All right. You got to go. All right, Vish, thank you so much for coming in. It was a great pleasure. Counterpoints, Connor, thank you so much for coming in. And don't forget, everybody, next Friday, January 6th, Counterpoints is going to be on Break the Rules once again with none other than Curtis Yarvin, a.k.a. Mencius Moldbug. And we are going to be, I guess, kind of continuing this conversation right now with Viz just talked about as far as what line should be crossed at what point. And I think that goes into the whole Imperium thing. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, click the bell. The bell is extremely important. And also patreon.com slash break the rules, become a patron. We are going to have a break the rules Patreon only stream about art and artificial intelligence coming up real soon. So if you want to be a part of that stream, being in there for the stream, become a patron and you are going to get first dibs on that. So anyway, thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, Vish, where can people find you before we go? Since you're right here. Yeah. Yeah, find me on Twitter at Vishbura. Find me on Truth Social at Vish. Find me on Getter at Vishbura. Uh, TikTok at Vishbura. Uh, yeah, I, I'm mostly on Twitter. Thank you. All right. And Counterpoints, where can people find you? 
Um, yeah, so typing counterpoints, common spelling into YouTube, you'll find my Warhammer 40,000 content, which is very nerdy. I understand that. Um, but I kind of make a, I still stream there uh, primarily and uh, do political debates, conversations, all that kind of stuff. I do have a debate or uh, streaming channel called Counterpoints Coliseum. So if you want me, want to see me debating or talking to political nerds, um, then go ahead and type that in. And then I am launching an essay channel as well, where I just want to go over that kind of stuff. Actually, um, I think I'm a little bit inspired. Uh, Vish, uh, you know, basically inspired me. If they, if there's people who are throwing down in the Young Republicans Club up in New York, and they kind of got the balls to do what they want to do, I can sit here and bitch about the way that they do it, or I can go join the Young Republicans, and then everybody can bitch about the way that I do it. And I think that's a, a perfectly fine thing. Um, and I know it takes a lot of uh, balls, uh, to be blunt, um, to get out into the public eye. Know that 10,000, 10 million people are going to judge you for what you say and what you believe, but... It, the truth is, at the end of the day, these conversations are important, and the future of the republic is important. Um, so, yeah. There we go. Uh, that was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, on Friday. Take care, everybody. Mwah. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. And follow me on Bye. Twitter.